Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for the privilege to, to receive your word, to hear from you, and then to, to feed your sheep, Lord. Lord, you asked Peter if he loved you, and he, when he said, yes, Lord, you know I love you, you said, feed my sheep. So God, I just ask you to give me the strength, the, the power and the Holy Spirit to feed your sheep, not by human strength, but by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. The title of this message is Christ, our Passover Lamb. Would you, would you stand for the reading of the scripture? Exodus 23, 14 through 17. Three times you shall keep a feast to me in the year. You shall keep the feast of unleavened bread. You shall eat unleavened bread seven days as I commanded you at the, time, at the appointed time in the month of Abib. For in it you came out of Egypt. None shall appear before me empty. And the feast of harvest or Pentecost, the first fruits of your labors which you have sown in the field, and the feast of ingathering at the end of the year when you have gathered in the fruit of your labors from the field. Three times in the year all your males shall appear before the Lord God. You may be seated. So God told Moses that there was going to be um, three, three feasts that all the males were required to come uh, and gather together to participate in these festivals or these feasts. And there were actually seven feasts in ancient Judaism. And they were outlined in, in Exodus, and we'll talk about them. But they, they, they're combined, two of them are combined with the first feast, and then two are combined with the last feast. And the middle feast stands alone. Uh, as I said before, this is the first of three messages based on the three main annual feasts or festivals that Israel was commanded to observe throughout their generations after the Exodus. There's the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is also called the Passover. And as you read the New Testament, you'll see Passover everywhere. If you do a search on your, on your Bible search app and you just look up Passover, it's everywhere in the New Testament. It was very much a part of the daily life of the Jews in Jesus' day and up until his day. The second, uh, the second feast is the Feast of Harvest or Pentecost. I'll be speaking about that uh, two weeks from today. And then the third feast is the Feast of Ingathering, which speaks of the end of the age, a harvest at the end of the age before God and Christ set up the kingdom. I feel honestly inadequate to teach and preach on these subjects as the light God's given me is very fresh and because I'm a Gentile. I'm a Gentile believer. I'm not a Jew. I believe, though, that the Lord has laid this on my heart to preach and to teach, so I trust he will make it spiritual bread for us. Most of the Christian faith has its foundation in the Jewish religion. The Jews are God's chosen people. And they were closer to God than the Gentiles before Christ. They are the natural branches, and we Gentiles are the wild branches grafted into the vine by faith. Look at Romans eleven twenty four. 24. It says, For if you were cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature, 
into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, who are the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? What is Paul talking about? He's saying, if you, the Gentiles, who are, wild, who are by nature wild, are grafted into the cultivated olive tree, which is Christ, he's that cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, or the Jews, who are the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? Our nature was wild and contrary to Jesus, the cultivated olive tree. The Jewish people share the same history and law and covenants and promises as Jesus, and thus they are closer to him by nature. But thank God that our wildness, our differentness, didn't and doesn't hinder him from grafting us into himself. God loves the Jew, but he also loves the stranger, this Gentile that trusts in him. In Isaiah 49, God's speaking to Christ, the pre-incarnate Christ says, it's a small thing, it's a light thing that I should use you, that I should make you a light just for Israel. I will make you a light for the Gentiles. In other words, for the whole world, for the whole world you'll be a light and salvation to all who come to you. Praise God. Though most of us are not Jewish, I believe there is a great benefit studying the scriptures from a Jewish perspective, or at least trying to understand their traditions and what these things meant to them. It adds a richness to our faith. Through the law and the things contained in the Old Covenants, I'm sorry, though the law and the things contained in the Old Covenants are shadows and they're types of the reality found in Christ, there's a richness of blessing that comes from the Spirit illuminating the shadows. We can't say, oh, we have the reality in Jesus. We don't need the shadows and we don't need the types and we don't need the examples of the Old Testament. We do. Hebrews 10.1 says, For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of the things or the reality of the things, can never with these same sacrifices, speaking of the animal sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. Referring to Jesus, our great high priest, we read in Hebrews 8.4, For if he were on earth, he would not be a priest, since there are priests, there are Jewish priests who offer the gifts according to the law. Verse 5 says, Who serve the copy and shadow of the heavenly things. As Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle, for he said, or God said to Moses, see that you make all things according to the pattern shown to you on the mountain. Moses was making a tabernacle, but God gave him the blueprint. God gave him the pattern. Uh, that pattern was what was in heaven. The temple that Solomon built was given to David by the Holy Spirit, which was an exact replica of the temple in heaven. He didn't say, David, go ahead, you're king, make me something you think is nice. No, he said, I'm going to show you what's in heaven. That's the reality. And the, the physical temple on earth is, is the shadow. It's the, it's the type. It's the figure. Peter said, 
and we have the prophetic word confirmed. This is after he talked about seeing Christ in in Matthew 17, the transfiguration. He saw Moses and Elijah. They were all glowing, right? And Moses and Elijah were speaking with Jesus, and Jesus' clothes were transfigured. It was whiter than any launderer could, could bleach them. And, and, and the disciples were there, and they were just in shock. And Peter, Peter was one that was there, and he said, we have a prophetic word, a more sure prophetic word. What's he talking about? He's talking about the Old Testament. He's talking about the Scriptures. We have a more sure word, which you do well to take heed to as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Peter is saying that the Old Testament is a more sure prophetic word than what they saw and heard on the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter's saying you can trust what the prophets wrote and and what all, all the fathers wrote. You can trust this Old Testament law, this word of God. You can trust it all as one, that it's truth. You can trust it more than what we saw and heard. And he says, until the day dawn, and the morning star arise in your heart. Who is the morning star? Jesus. Revelation says he is the bright and morning star. Right? It says he's going to rise in your hearts. And it's going to come by you studying the scriptures and the Holy Spirit illuminating Christ in the scriptures. Listen. John five thirty nine. King James Version says, Jesus said to the Pharisees, he said, search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. He's saying, search the scriptures, and other versions say, you do search the scriptures, and you think you have eternal life, but these scriptures talk about me. They testify of me. They point to me. But he said, you won't come to me that you might have, might have life. So what is Jesus saying? He's saying, look at the Word of God. Look at the Old Testament. Study it. Remember, um, I want to ask this. How many of you have had the joyful experience of the Spirit shining His light on Jesus from the shadows of the Old Testament? You've, You've been reading the Old Testament, and all of a sudden you're like, whoa, that's Jesus. Or maybe you're like, whoa, is that Jesus? I mean, is that is that really Jesus? The Holy Spirit is causing the day star to arise in your heart. He's shining the light from the shadows of the Old Testament, and you're seeing Jesus, and your heart is is excited. You're like thrilled. You're like, wow, it's Christ. Listen. Remember the two depressed disciples after Jesus' crucifixion? The two depressed disciples walking with Jesus on the road to Emmaus with Jesus? A stranger joined them. It was two, and then it was three. They're walking with Jesus. I mean, they're talking about all the things that happened. And Jesus says, what are you talking about? And they said, don't you know? Haven't, are you a stranger? Haven't you heard? I mean, this is front-page news about the, the Jesus, the, the, the prophet, the one that healed all these people, and we thought he had been the Messiah. And, he's like, and Jesus is like, whoa, tell me more. He acts like he doesn't know what they're talking about. And it says their eyes were withheld. They couldn't, they didn't see him. They didn't recognize him. He was resurrected from the dead. And here the living Christ is with them. And they can't see him. And they're depressed. And it says, Luke 
24, 27. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Wouldn't that be awesome to have Jesus sit next to you? Walk with Jesus, go on a walk on a nice spring or summer day, and now he just starts telling you all the things in Moses and the prophets about himself? Well, guess what? He can do that. And he wants to do that by his Holy Spirit in us. That spirit that lives in you is the spirit of Jesus. And the spirit of Jesus reveals and glorifies Jesus So it says, he's expounding to them the scriptures concerning himself. And it came to pass, verse 30 through 32, that as he sat down to eat with them, he took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened. And they knew him and he vanished out of their sight. And they said to one another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked to us by the way and while he opened to us the scriptures? Praise God. God wants it to be that when you read this book, it's not a religious duty, but the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, reveals Jesus and your heart's on fire. Your heart burns. It's like, I'm seeing Jesus. This is incredible. Praise God. These were not New Testament scriptures. They weren't written yet. It's talking about the Old Testament scriptures. Jesus revealed in the Old Testament. Revelation 22:16, Jesus said, I, Jesus, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. Jesus is both the progenitor and the offspring of David. How can this be? Because all things were created by him, and without him nothing was created that was created. Jesus was before David, and yet Jesus came in his physical body 2,000 years ago through the loins, through the lineage of David. He's both the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. He shines before David, with David in his lifetime and after David. We measure everything on earth by time, and as Christians, we often make the mistake of living by sight, walking by sight, and living by time. And we have to, of course, consider time and and be to work on time and get things done on time. But my friend, God is outside of time. He works in and through time, but he's outside. His economy is greater. He's not bound by time. The sun and the earth's rotation around it create time, right? That's how we measure days and weeks and months and seasons and years. Time goes linearly in one direction, and thank God we can't go back in time. Sometimes we'd like to. But Scripture tells us that there's no sun in heaven. Did you know that? In Revelation it says, and there will be no sun in the new heavens and the new earth, no sun, no moon, for the Lamb the glory of God and the Lamb are the light of it. Jesus Christ, it says in Malachi, in Malachi talks about the sun of righteousness. He is the sun of righteousness. He's the bright morning star. He's the sun in heaven that everything revolves around. Everything revolves around Jesus Christ. And you know what, Christian? Everything in our life should revolve around Jesus. Not time, 
Not saying, God, you haven't done, I prayed and you haven't done this in my timing. Guess what? Everything revolves around Jesus. He's perfect. His timing is never late. It's never late. But his timing is not ours. Hallelujah. Those who lived before Christ, think of Abraham and Moses, all the patriarchs that lived before Christ, his light shined back to them. They were looking forward to the advent of the Messiah. And he created the shadows that they saw. And it says they saw dimly, but they, they had the promises and yet didn't receive them. But they saw Christ afar off. We, after Christ, are seeing Christ in, in, in history, seeing what he's done. We have a clearer picture than they did. Think about this. Those who lived before him saw the shadow of his brightness and were saved by faith looking forward to Christ. They were saved the same way. They weren't saved by the law. The law has never saved anyone. Religion has never saved anyone. They were saved by faith. Read the book of Hebrews 11, right? Those who lived in Jesus' time that saw him and touched him during his three years of ministry maybe were healed by him. They were saved the same way by faith. It says, but many saw the miracles of Jesus and yet still didn't believe. Consider that if you think, oh, if I could just see, if I had lived when Jesus did and saw his miracles, I'd believe. No, you wouldn't. If you don't believe the word of God, you wouldn't believe his miracles. Listen, we, after Jesus, look back at his life, death, and resurrection at the testimony of the apostles and we rejoice because the reality of the Holy Spirit's testimony is stronger than if we saw him in person in the flesh. Do you believe that? The disciples had to have a revelation of Christ by the Spirit. All that believed on him did. It says that when he was resurrected, that 500 people saw him at different times. But there were only 120 in the upper room waiting. Think about that. The Holy Spirit has to give you faith to believe in Christ. And when he does, and you walk with him, that faith gets stronger and clearer and sharper, and you become convinced of these things that you believe. Now let's look at these feasts. The first feast is really three feasts in one. It's begun by Passover. And let's look at this and see if our hearts don't burn as we see him clearly from the shadow that he cast. Leviticus 23, 1 through 6. I know this is your primary reading. You love Leviticus. You read it every day. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, The feasts of the Lord which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations or assemblies, these are my feasts. Highlight that. These are my feasts. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work on it. It is the Sabbath of the Lord in all your dwellings. Verse 4. These are the feasts of the Lord, holy convocations which you shall proclaim at their appointed times. On the 14th day of the first month at twilight is the Lord's Passover. And on the 15th day of the same month is the feast of unleavened bread to the Lord. Seven days you must eat unleavened bread. So follow me here. Here we see the first two feasts. There are three within eight days, and I'm going to explain this. The first is the Passover feast. 
And it starts at twilight on the 14th day of the first month in the Jewish calendar. It is a Friday because it is the day before the Sabbath, which the Jews celebrate on Saturday. This is the Passover, which we briefly mentioned last week. The next day is the first day of a week-long festival called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Remember that? For a whole week, they, couldn't have, they had to search their houses and make sure there was no leaven in their houses. That's the Feast of Unleavened Bread. But in the New Testament, that feast was often just called the Passover because the Passover was at the beginning of it. The next day was the Sabbath, which was the beginning of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and it lasted seven days, Sabbath to Sabbath. The second day of the feast, so the, there's, the, there's the Passover, then the Sabbath is the, the first day of the Sabbath is the Feast of Unleavened Bread beginning, and then the next day is another feast day, and it is called the Feast of First Fruits. It's a one-day festival celebrating the beginning of the spring harvest. They would go into the field, and the, 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 first, the first grain that came off, they would take that, and they would offer it to the Lord. It was a faith saying, God, you're going to provide more. More is coming. I'm not going to eat this myself. I'm going to offer it to you. It's the Feast of First Fruits. Remember that. Remember that. We're going to come back to it. This Feast of First Fruits is on the third day after Passover. Remember that. Leviticus 23, 9 through 11. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, when you come into the land which I give you and reap its harvest, you shall bring a, free, a sheaf or a bundle of the first fruits of your harvest to the priests. He shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted on your behalf on the day after the, uh, the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. There's proof that the feast of first fruits is the day after the first day of the, of a, of the feast of unleavened bread. So it's Passover. Feast of Unleavened Bread begins. Feast of First Fruits. Do you see that? It's three days. And it says, the priest shall wave it. If you read through the Old Testament, you'll see there's these wave offerings. When you're in church and you see people going like this, don't think it's weird. You're a wave offering to God. When you raise your hand, you know the Bible says that it's biblical that we lift up holy hands in prayer. I know some of you don't come from a church tradition where people raise their hands, but it's biblical. It's not charismatic. It's not Pentecostal. It's biblical. Raise your hands. And if we watch it on video and you put it a little fast time, you can see everybody's going like this. <laughs> it's a wave offering, right? What are you doing? You're offering yourself back to God. You're saying, God, I love you. Look what you've done in me, God. Let's consider what the shadow of Passover is pointing to and coming from. 1 Corinthians 5, 7. Therefore purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump since you are truly unleavened. For indeed, listen, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Christ, our Passover. Listen, every year from the Exodus, the people of Israel... Except when they fell into backsliding and they forgot and left all the feasts. But when they were following God, every year they did a Passover. On the 10th day of the first month, they would bring a lamb. They would inspect it. They would declare it's spotless. They'd bring it into the home for five days from the 10th to the 14th day. 
And it would probably become like a, like a pet. The children would play with it and say, oh, we love this. We love this little lamb. This is beautiful. And then the father would say, it's the 14th day. It's time to kill the Passover. And I can imagine some little boy saying, no, daddy, don't kill it. Don't kill it. Ah, you can take me. Kill me. Don't, don't take my pet lamb. But when it come down, came down to it, every one of those little boys let the Passover be sacrificed. Right? This was part of their ceremony every year, every year. They ate a special meal. They ate unleavened bread. They ate bitter herbs. They followed these things, but all these things that they became religious about, that they just did by rote and tradition, they meant something. They had a powerful meaning. They were a shadow pointing to a reality. Exodus 12, 1 through 3 says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be your beginning of months. See, when the Passover was sacrificed, that first Passover, he said, This is changing your whole calendar. A friend came in today and said, Is today, today is the, new, the Chinese New Year? Right, so, so Chinese calendar, today is the, the, the year of the rabbit, and then before it was the year of the tiger. Right? But in, in a lot of the world, in, in the West, we celebrate a calendar that's based on the birth of Jesus Christ. Right? Moses said, your calendar's changing. It's the, now there's a new month beginning your calendar. It's the month of Abib, and it's based entirely on the Passover. It shall be the first month of the year to you. The Passover was a new beginning and changed how they marked time. We have it today, A.D. and B.C., right? I know that the, the, the college professors were changing this when I was in school. No, it's not before Christ. It's B.C.E. No, no, friends, you're just trying to, to get rid of Christ. It's B.C., before Christ. Verse 3, speak to all the congregation of Israel. On the tenth of the, the month, every man shall take for himself a lamb. Every man shall take for himself a lamb. Let me tell you this. You cannot be saved because your grandfather or your grandmother or your mother took the lamb, Jesus Christ, by faith. You cannot be saved because you were part of a congregation or a denomination that said, we have the truth, and, and if you just go through these rituals and this baptism and this confession and this catechism, then you'll be saved. No, every man had to take a lamb. It was a lamb that brought salvation. This is true in the New Testament. Every person has to take the lamb. Verse 5, your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. Remember Jesus saying when he came in his triumphal entry into Jerusalem? We're going to talk a little bit more about this. Everything, everything is opening up to me in the New Testament. You remember when he came in in his triumphal entry, they, they put palm branches before him? And, and he came on the donkey and they said, Master, teacher, tell your disciples to be quiet. They were saying, Hosanna. Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. They were praising him, right? You remember what he said? He said, if, they, if I tell them to be quiet, the very stones will cry out. There is an entry here that is so significant that if man doesn't do it, nature's going to cry out. But do you remember that when Jesus stood before his accusers before uh, the chief priests and the Pharisees, 
the ones who should have recognized the Lamb of God, the ones who should have examined him, they said, take him away and crucify him. But God, just as the rocks would have cried out if they hadn't said, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, God had a man, a carnal politician, Pilate, who examined Christ and said, I've examined him, and I find no fault in him. God had to use a public unbeliever to speak his word. This is the Passover lamb. I find no fault in him. Praise God. Praise God. 1 Peter 1, 19 says, You were not redeemed with silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Hallelujah. Now you shall keep it. Verse going back to Exodus 12. Now, verse 6, you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. That little lamb was there five days. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. That was the Passover. Zechariah 13, 6, it says, And one shall say unto him, What are these wounds in your hands? And he shall answer, Those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. That was a prophecy about Jesus' crucifixion. What are these wounds in your hands, the wounds that I received in the house of my friends? He came to his own, and his own received him not. Israel should have said, he's the, he's the spotless lamb of God. But instead, five days after the triumphal entry, they said, crucify him, crucify him. Don't release Barabbas. Put Jesus on the cross, crucify him. Release to us Barabbas. Verse 7, and they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts of the lintel of the houses where they eat it. I, we talked about it last week. That blood of the Passover lamb was sprinkled on the doorposts. And those Israelites that were under the blood, they were passed over. The, the angel of death passed over them. They were spared. They were saved. And the judgment didn't come upon them. That's what Christ, our substitute, has done for us. He was our sin bearer. He who was innocent, without fault, without spot, the darling of heaven, laid down his life and took our sins upon himself so we could go free, so we, the Barabbas, could go free. And so I will not take down that cross. When it becomes trendy for churches to remove crosses because they say that might offend somebody, no. It's just a symbol, but my God, I believe in the power of the cross of Jesus Christ and the blood of the cross. And it says they applied the cross to the doorposts and the lintel. I see the blood of Jesus over the cross. It's his blood that was shed for us that causes us to go free. Praise God. Hallelujah. It says, then they shall eat the flesh of the Passover that night, roasted in fire, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. Roasted in fire speaks of the fiery judgment of God that Jesus bore as our sin bearer. He bore the wrath of God so we wouldn't, so we could go free, so we could know the love of God. Praise God. The unleavened bread speaks of his sinless body broken for us to receive. And the bitter herbs point to the grief and the sufferings and the trial of his cruel crucifixion. Verse 12, 
For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. When you come to Christ and are born again, not only are your sins taken away and you're forgiven, God executes judgment on that devil that you've been serving and that's had you in bondage. You're no longer a slave to the enemy. He says, I will execute judgment on all the gods of Egypt. Praise God. And when I see the blood, it says, now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you. Romans 5, 9 when it says, when I see the blood, I'll pass over you. Romans 5, 9, much more than having now been justified or made right with God by his blood. We shall be saved from wrath through him. Saved from what wrath? The wrath of God that we justly deserve for our sins. We are saved from wrath because we're made right with God through the blood of Jesus Christ. Seven days, verse 15, you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day, you shall remove leaven from your houses. For whoever eats leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, speaking of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, that person will be cut off from Israel. Leaven was a type or a figure of sin. The Passover preceded or was before this removal of sin from their homes and their lives. In John 1.29, John the Baptist said, when he saw Jesus coming toward him in the wilderness where he was baptizing, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. You see, it was the Passover and then the cleansing from sin. It's the cross and the victory from sin, the deliverance from sin. Hallelujah. Christ's sacrifice and blood is the only way to be freed from sin's condemnation, from sin's guilt and from sin's power to enslave us. Listen, everything else is just putting a garment over it. It's just dead religion. You're just clothing your old Adam, that old sinful person, and you're trying to make him look good, and you're putting makeup on him, and you're doing his hair, and, and you're putting him in a nice three-piece suit, and you're saying, look, he's good. And God says, no, he's not. He needs to be cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. Jesus coming as the Passover Lamb was prophesied by Abraham when Isaac asked, Father, I see the wood and I see the fire when God told him, take him up to the mountain, I'll show you and sacrifice him. And as they're going and they're climbing up the mountain, they had left the two servants, they're climbing up the mountain. Isaac says, Father, I see the, I see the, the fire, I see the torch, I see the wood. It was on Isaac's back. Where's the lamb? Where's the lamb? Abraham said, my son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. You see, this Passover was prophesied about down through history. It was always in the heart and the mind of God. And Jesus said, behold, offerings and sin offerings you didn't desire, all those animal sacrifices, all those bloody sacrifices besides the Passover, the oxen and the cattle and the goats and the sheep and the birds. He said, you did not desire, but a body you've prepared for me. Behold, I am come, O Lord, to do your will to lay down my life. Praise God. God will provide himself a lamb. In John chapter 12, Jesus had supper with some of his closest friends. He had just raised Lazarus from the dead. Remember the story? Four days, Lazarus was in the tomb. And now Lazarus 
you know, says, hey, I think it'd be nice to pay you back. Let's, why don't you come over for dinner? So he and Mary and Martha have Jesus over for dinner, and they're just fellowshipping, and these were three of his closest friends. And as they're eating, Mary takes a, that, that pound of costly perfume, spikenard, and she breaks it open, and she, she pours it on Jesus' feet, and she wipes his feet with her hair. And Judas Iscariot, the traitor, says, why wasn't this, why wasn't this costly perfume sold and given to the poor? He didn't care about the poor. He was a thief. He had the money bag. And Jesus didn't even rebuke that sin in Judas. He didn't say, hey, I know you're a thief. He just said, leave her alone. She has prepared this unto the day of my burial. Listen, the very next day, the very next day after Jesus' feet were anointed for his burial was the 10th day of the month of Abib. It was the day in which all Israel was purifying themselves and taking a little lamb into their houses to prepare for Passover. That very day was the day of the triumphal procession. That was the day that Jesus came and sat on the donkey and came in and they said, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Do you see, prophetically, Jesus was fulfilling all that the prophets had said. He was coming home to Jerusalem. And he was coming to be the Passover lamb. How many people saw that? They were gathering their little lambs, bringing them into their home. And they were celebrating Jesus as a prophet, as a teacher, as a miracle worker. But they did not know that he was the lamb of God. That he was coming to die. Praise Jesus. Praise Jesus. Jesus knew it. Jesus knew it. He didn't come and hear all this praise and be like, oh, this is wonderful. I'm like a rock star. He knew that five days later they'd be saying, crucify, crucify. The same people that were saying, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. They'd be saying, crucify him. That also would fulfill prophecy. Luke 22, now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called Passover. And the chief priests and the scribes sought for how they might kill him but they feared the people. Verse 7, Then came the day of unleavened bread when, pass, when the Passover must be killed. This is speaking of Christ. Also of the, the, their festival, their fulfilling of the actual killing the lambs. And he sent Peter and John saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat. You know the story. He said, Well, where are we going? And, and they said, You'll find a man with a water pot. Follow him. And then tell him that the master needs the place you've prepared. And there's an upper room that you'll go into and we'll have the Passover there. We'll share it together. And when the hour had come, he sat down and the 12 apostles with him. Listen, then he said to them, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Peter and the other disciples had gone and they'd taken a lamb and they had inspected it and they had made sure it was spotless and they had slain it. And now they were going to eat this Passover lamb together. It was roasted with fire. Can you imagine Jesus with his disciples saying, I have greatly desired to eat this Passover with you. Understanding all the symbolism. Himself eating the Passover, the Paschal lamb. With his disciples, knowing what he was about to do. Knowing that he was going to give his life. He says, I've greatly desired 
to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For he said, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. It would be fulfilled when he hung on the cross. Then he would eat it afterwards. And he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise also he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. He was instituting a new ordinance. He's saying, you don't need the Passover lamb anymore. You don't need to kill the lamb. I'm going to die for you. Take this bread freely. Just eat it. This is my body. It's broken for you. Take this cup and drink it. You don't have to shed the blood of an animal. I'm shedding my blood for you. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, this is John 13, 1, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them unto the end. <laughs> he knows everything he's going to face. They're oblivious. He's been talking about his death. He's been talking about his trial. They're oblivious. He just keeps loving them. He just keeps loving them. My friend, you and I are so imperfect we mess up all the time. We're so far from what Christ is going to make us. He just keeps loving us. He loved them to the end. Listen. On the night of the Passover, he laid aside his garments and he girded himself with a tile, a towel to what? To wash his disciples' feet. You'd think he'd be so distressing. Man, you don't know what I'm going to go through. Man, you've got to comfort me. You've got to strengthen me. He bows down and he takes upon himself the position of a servant and he begins to wash their feet. He gives the bread to his betrayer, Judas, and he also diffuses an argument. The disciples break out into an argument saying, who's going to be the greatest? This is the night before Jesus is going to die. He doesn't speak to them harshly. He just tells them, don't be like that. He instructs them and teaches them that's not his way. Listen, this is Calvary love. Peter said that he was ready to follow Jesus to death. I want to just go back a little bit. This is Calvary love. When you look at people and they're not formed in Christ like you think they should be, let me tell you something. Jesus saw all his disciples and they were a wreck. He kept loving them. He kept speaking to them. That's Calvary love. Peter talked boldly about the cross, about dying for Jesus, but when it came down to it, he ran from the cross. He ran. The cross of Jesus will deliver you from the guilt and the punishment your sins deserve. There's so much to be thankful for for the cross. It delivers us from our guilt and our punishment. It crushes the enemy and his bondage in our lives. It frees us and gives us eternal life. But it will also expose the frailty of your human love. And it will reveal that you can't really follow Jesus to death. The cross will shatter your old man. It will shatter your self-confidence so that you can be resurrected in the love of Jesus. Luke twenty two thirty one. 31, And the Lord said to Simon, 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 indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you've returned or converted to me, strengthen your brothers. But he said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you, both to prison and to death. Then he said, Peter, I tell you, the rooster will not crow this day before you will deny three times that you know me. 
You see, we think we're strong. We think we've, we've been saved. We think we, we can walk with Jesus and we'll, we'll, we'll follow him and we love him. He says, you're not ready. Satan's desired to sift you. And he doesn't say, I'm not going to let Satan sift you. He said, I've prayed for you that your faith doesn't fail. Sometimes we need Satan to sift us. We need Satan to attack us and to expose that thing that we're trusting, which is not Christ. Right? And when he does, then what? God comes in with mercy. Peter looked at Jesus when the, when the rooster crowed, and Jesus looked at him. I believe that was a look of love. And Peter went out and he wept bitterly. He had to be broken of his self-confidence because self-confidence is in the way of the cross. It's in the way of resurrected life. But when Peter was broken and shattered of his self-confidence, laid in the dust by Satan, his faith didn't fail because Jesus came to him and he said, Peter, do you love me? He restored Peter by loving Peter and saying, Peter, I have work for you to do, but it's not going to be about you. It's about me. Feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. He restored Peter. He doesn't, God doesn't crush us by the cross to not bring us to resurrection. He resurrected Peter by the love of God. And we'll find out in a couple weeks Then he filled him with power at Pentecost. My friends, are there things to be broken in you? I know there are. There's things to be broken in me. There are. I saw it last week. I saw it last week. I, I'm going to be honest with you. I was in this church, and I came up here, and I had a, a sermon I was ready and prepared for, and the, and the enemy said, look at how small your church is. You're a failure. You're not anointed. If you were anointed, people would come. You're a failure. And I'm telling you, it just hit me. I knew it was Satan, but it just hit me. So strong, it was so heavy, and I went into the fellowship. We had our fellowship lunch, and I tried to be happy and tried to be nice, tried to pretend. And then later the next day, my, no, not the next day, that afternoon, my wife's like, so are, you, are you okay? Something's, something's bothering you? You don't seem yourself? I'm okay, I'm okay, just pray for me. Just pray for me. I had been praying, I had been praying. I'm not going to share that part. The next day I get in, I'm, I'm, I'm still down. And I'm in prayer, and I said, Lord, you got to help me. I was depressed. I'm literally, I was depressed. This lie was so strong. This is going to come to nothing. You've done this thing, and you started this thing. It's going to be a failure. And the Holy Spirit started encouraging me as I started praying and worshiping and just started lifting my spirit. And he said, Aaron, the only reason that that enemy lie could get to you is because there's something in you that's still self and still trusting yourself. You're unbroken in this area. These are my sheep. They're not numbers. You feed them. You love them. You let me worry about everything else. I was like, oh, God, thank you for that gentle reproof. I repented on the spot. I said, Lord, thank you. And he raised me up. My spirit in half an hour went from being depressed. I'm not kidding. To being, I'm riding on the high hills of heaven. I'm rejoicing. I'm shouting. I'm praising God. He brought me up. But sometimes, friends, we have to be sifted by the cross. Sometimes the devil will attack us, and, and yes, God's going to give us the victory, but sometimes he's going to expose us through that enemy's attack. Jesus said that the prince of this world is coming, but he has nothing in me. He didn't have anything in his flesh the devil could get a grip on. Guess what? There's still some things the devil can get a grip on in me. And he's working those things out. And pray for me. Pray for me. 
I made a decision. I'm ministering to Jesus. If this church dwindles down to just me and my family, I'm going to do it until the Lord says close it. You understand? I'm ministering to Jesus. I hope you're blessed too, but I'm ministering to Christ. And I'm not going to worry about numbers. I'm going to feed the sheep. I'm going to learn to love the sheep with Christ's love because that's what he's called me to. Hallelujah. I'm, I'm winding down, but this is so good. <laughs> Listen. John 18, 28. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas. This is his trial. Unto the hall of judgment. This is the, the, all the elders, all the, the, the priests and the chief priests who should have said, Behold the Lamb of God, I find no fault in him. Instead, they wanted him killed. Listen. They led Jesus from Caiaphas unto the hall of judgment, and it was early. And they themselves didn't go into the judgment hall lest they should be defiled. They didn't want to go into a Gentile judgment hall being Jews. They didn't want to be defiled, listen, but that they might eat the Passover. The Passover was standing in front of them. And they wanted to kill him. They didn't want to defile him. This is what religion does. Religion says, I've got to do my duty, go to church, but I, I, I'm going to miss the reality of Christ. To humble myself and apologize to my family if the Holy Spirit leads me. See, that's real. That's true religion. That's what God has called us to, is to respond to the Holy Spirit, to see Christ, and then respond to him. Listen, they were so religious, they didn't want to enter the judgment hall where they were begging Pilate to kill Jesus. Oh, we can't enter in because we got to go home and have our Passover lamb when the Passover, the reality, was right in front of them. They wanted to eat the shadow and kill the reality. That's what religion does. I want to eat the shadow but kill the reality. Leviticus 23 9 through 11, and the Lord spoke to Moses. This is the, this is the third feast within those, that one main feast of unleavened bread. Listen to this. Speak to the children of Israel. Say to them, when you come into the land which I give you and reap its harvest, then you shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest. Remember this wave offering? And he'll wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted on your behalf. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. This was the feast of first fruits on the third day after the Passover was slain, the day after the Sabbath. What is that? First fruits. Luke 24, 1 through 7. Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus, and it happened. As they were greatly perplexed, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments, and they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth and said to them, the angel said, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. That's the first fruits. That's the fulfillment of the prophecy of the shadow of the feast of first fruits. 1 Corinthians 15, 20. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the firstfruits of all those who have fallen asleep. Jesus, the bright morning star, is the fulfillment of the law and all prophecy. Praise God.
Praise God. Hallelujah. I want to leave you with one final thing that is a beautiful thing that the cross has done. Do you know that Jews and Gentiles traditionally did not get along? Jews looked down and despised Gentiles. Gentiles despised Jews. We call that anti-Semitism when people hate Jews, right? Look at World War II. A lot of that was because of a hatred for God's chosen people. Listen. Ephesians 2, 11 through 18. Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcised by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that outward circumcision, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise. Remember, you're a wild olive branch. You were strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Praise God. Remember that? He welcomes the stranger. For he himself is our peace who has made both one. Who's the both? Jew and Gentile. He's made those two camps that were fighting, that were, that were angry with each other, that were proud, that were, were, were uh, saying, I can't stand you. He's made both one. How? Look at what it says. He has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh or body the enmity, the hatred, that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. And he hath, that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, having put to death the enmity or hostility. You see, the cross has made us one with the Jews. They were the chosen people, and I'm not saying God doesn't still have a special plan for the nation of Israel. He does. But he's made us one. We are one body. He's taken away the enmity through the cross. Through the cross and made us one with the Jews. Now we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a special people, just as Israel is. We're God's delight, the apple of his eye. Praise God. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you fulfilled all prophecy through your son. Thank you that you did stuff that people were completely unaware of, God. But you fulfilled it to fulfill all righteousness and for us to see the beauty of Christ. God, I thank you that you are the Passover lamb. That if anyone would believe on you and repent of their sins, they'll have eternal life. They'll pass from death to life, from judgment and condemnation to freedom and liberty in Christ. God, we thank you, thank you, thank you for the precious blood of the Lamb, that it does what the blood of bulls and goats and, and, and Passover lambs couldn't do. It washes us from our guilty conscience. It brings us into the presence of God. It draws us in to your throne room of grace. God, we praise you. God, we thank you. God, we praise you that you're lifted up. God, I pray you'd open our eyes to see the reality in the shadows, Lord, when we read the scriptures. I pray you'd open our eyes to see the beauty of this risen Christ, that, Lord, we wouldn't be eating shadows and killing the, the reality. 
Lord, we'd rejoice in what you show us in the word of God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise your name. But my God, I just, I thank you for this word and I pray that you would cause it to, cause us to see scripture in a clear light, Lord. Cause us to see the beauty of the Passover, of what you've done for us, Jesus. Thank you that we don't have to kill a little lamb, but you said just take, my, take the bread and take it in. Drink the wine and remember me. And Lord, our life is in, in you. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I praise you. I praise you. Be glorified today in our hearts. In your name we pray. Amen.
thank you, God, for being our Passover lamb, Lord God. Lord, thank you, God, for taking on the sin of this world, Lord, taking on our sin, oh God. Thank you, Jesus. You are holy, oh God. You are worthy, oh God. Praise you, Jesus. you, God, for your presence here today, God. I thank you for just learning more about who you are, God. I pray, God, that it would go with us today, God. God, I pray for our coming and going, Lord God, that you would go before us, you would go behind us again like we learned last week, Lord God, be our rear guard, Lord. pray that you would bring us back tonight for prayer meeting, Lord God, that, Lord, that your presence, Lord, would be with us throughout the day, God, but we would have excitement to come and meet you tonight, Lord God. In Jesus' name, amen.